0: you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to join me in Romans chapter 8. How many of you know what I'm asking when I ask, have you ever just not felt it? Ever entered into a situation and somebody says, hey, you seem a little tired. You seem a little out of it and you might say something like, ah, I'm just not feeling it. I just don't want to be here. You say, Pastor, actually, now that you bring it up, this very moment right now, I, that, that would be my current mental state. I'm just not feeling it. I'm just not sure I'm into it. We are so hyper-dependent upon our feelings. And this morning, I want to take just a moment from Scripture and tell you, in effect, that your feelings will lie to you and the facts of Scripture must override your feelings. We live in an age Of identity confusion where the question is asked who am I often I believe even the question what am I is asked with increasing regularity but for we who are Bible believers we have a scriptural identity we derive it from the Holy Spirit and we've worked our way through this I am a Christian I am a child of God and what that means practically. I am a co-laborer together with God. And this morning we arrive in Romans chapter 8 to put a capstone on it. I am more than a conqueror. Romans chapter 8 is not just your run-of-the-mill passage of Scripture. It should be noted as a high point in all the Bible. In fact, many scholars believe this is Is the greatest chapter in all the Bible. Another commentator said this if the Bible were a cluster of precious jewels, the book of Romans would be the diamond in the center of the cluster, and the eighth chapter of Romans would be the sparkling tip of the diamond. So, what I'm saying is even if it's a bad sermon, if you've ever paid attention, today's the day because we're in Romans chapter eight. Why is it so great? Ultimately, because it's a declaration of the great news of the gospel, the greatest news that has ever been delivered. The practical application of what the gospel means for people just like us, it is the essence, it's the soul of the gospel. It is an affirming passage of scripture. It's a strengthening passage of scripture. It's a rallying cry. It's meant to stir you. It's meant to move you beyond your feelings and into an understanding of your identity in Christ. I'll begin reading what Paul writes in verse 31. He asks a question, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It's Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God? Who also maketh intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written... That's the Apostle Paul delivering a rallying cry to some struggling people. I find it intriguing that in effect at the beginning when he writes, what shall we then say to these things? He's asking, what is there left to say? He's asking in effect, what can anyone add to this? And then he asks five more questions to bring clarity to this reality. He's hurling them out there into space. He's answering them as he asks them. He is giving somewhat of a defiant cry to everyone and everything that would stand against us. It is a message of security as I have referenced. It is strengthening. I am more than a conqueror. It is at this moment in time you're probably thinking to yourself, I'm not feeling it. I mean, you're telling me right now that I am more than a conqueror. I'm going to be honest with you. I should have had a second cup of coffee. You're telling me right now that, spiritually speaking, I'm more than a conqueror, and I've got to be honest with you, I have already blown it with my family before we even pulled in the parking lot. I'm anything but a conqueror, much less more than a conqueror. My back hurts. I have a headache. My joints ache, and you're telling me that I'm more than a conqueror. How can you tell me that I am more than a conqueror? I'm not feeling it. Here's some scriptural fact. Number one, you are more than a conqueror because God is for us. Can you imagine that reality? God is for us. Prior to salvation, the Bible tells us in our carnal natural state, we are the enemies of God. God is against us. And there is no enemy that you would want in the vicinity of God. And yet now in Christ, as a child of God and co-labor together with Him, God is for us. That's what He says. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? The strength in the Greek language in that if is in effect since Since God is for us, who could possibly ever be against us? It's eternal security. I cannot lose my salvation. That's what he's declaring. Is there ever going to be a moment where you doubt it? Probably. If you behave like I behave, you're going to doubt it. Is there ever going to be a season of discouragement? Perhaps you will enter seasons of discouragement. Will you ever find yourself despairing for its ultimate fulfillment in glory Yes. Moments of defeat, no doubt. But salvation, relationship, acceptance in Christ, it's settled. Will that relationship ever be destroyed? He's saying never. Since God is for us, it's a true condition. Because of the fact that God is for us, there can never arise a power that is greater than Him against us. We ultimately win. If you entered into Every fight you could ever engage in on the face of the earth and you knew before entering into it that you were the stronger and better fighter and it was inevitable that you would win. How many of you would just be brawlers? And I would. I would just fight all the time. You say, but you're a pastor and the Bible says be no brawler. In this scenario, I'm not a pastor. I'm a champion fighter. I'm fighting everybody. Why would I fight everybody? That's an obnoxious sense. Because no one is stronger. I'm assured victory in every engagement. Yes, I'm going to go in with a different mentality. Here's what the Apostle Paul is saying to a group of believers like us who don't always feel it, who sometimes are struggling along the way. He is asking, is there anyone stronger than God? And we reply back, no. And he says, we'll never forget that God is for you. God is for you and he's for me. Then he asks us this and he's making a declaration with this question. How am I more than a conqueror? I don't feel it. Well, God is for you. Secondarily, God gave his son for us. You say, I know that. That's the Christmas season. But hold on. Note what he says in verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifies. it. Who is he that condemneth? It's Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Now when he writes those verses, I know there's a good bit of Bibleese in there, but he is compelling us as believers to think logically. He is establishing a logical argument for us. He's compelling us to think this through, and he is saying to us, God gave His only begotten Son for us. Can you fathom when He does something that extravagant and sacrificial that He will then change order and withhold beneficial things from you? Absolutely not. It is the baseline for our asking. God gave His Son for us. His only begotten Son He gave for us. I love that God has called me to pastor. I believe that I love this church and you. But I love my children differently than I love you. And as much as I may love others, there's a different level with my child and to give my child for anyone else is something my human mind struggles to understand. And yet Paul is saying, Creator God Gave his only begotten son for you. That's the foundation of the reality that you and I are more than conquerors. This, Spurgeon said, is the master argument in prayer. In effect, if we understand its force, we shall not be afraid of asking too much. Can you ask God for too much when he's already given his only begotten son for you? We have not because we ask not, the Bible says. This is the master argument for prayer. How can I, when I'm not feeling it, be more than a conqueror? Because God is for you and no one is stronger than God. Because God gave his son for us, he will not withhold anything beneficial from us. That's what Paul is writing. He gave, he spared not his own son, that's past tense. He then tells us that at this moment, as we sit here, Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father interceding for us. That's this present moment. He will usher us. He will literally escort us into glory. Our past and our present and our future is all secure in His hands. Everything that is necessary for our justification. Everything that is necessary for our sanctification, everything that will be necessary for our glorification is already been given in the Son of God. Note verse 33 as he asks this. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It's Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Think of what the Apostle Paul is asking. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? That's legal language. In effect, what Paul is saying is, who will arraign you before the holy judge that is God? Who can possibly do it? Who can possibly lay any charge before any of God's elect? Listen, let's get practical for a minute. We've already established the idea of I don't feel it. All of us are failures. All of us are faulty. All of us are by nature sinners. We all stumble. If you knew truly every thought that coursed through my mind or every word that ever came out of my mouth or every emotion that ever dominated my heart, you probably wouldn't want to know me and I you. And what can happen to people like us who are striving to keep God happy or please God, we're striving to pursue holiness and sanctification with the help of the Holy Spirit, the devil, the enemy, the accuser of the brethren, comes up alongside of you and he whispers in your ear and he says, okay, you're listening to this guy. And he has had the audacity to tell you that God is for you. And he's told you that God gave his son for you. But now the devil begins to whisper and he says to you, but you don't deserve that. You don't deserve that kind of security. You know you. You don't deserve heaven. You know you. If anyone wasn't going to make it, it's going to be you. He whispers that in our ear and Paul provides the answer using again the legal language. He is saying, if you try to charge me, if you try to arraign me before the holy judge that is God, it is God who has already justified me. He's thrown my case out of the courtroom. It doesn't matter what you say, God has already justified me. He is telling us this factually. It's God who takes sinners and makes them clean. It's God who imputes the righteousness of Christ on we bankrupt sinners. In other words, God says to the accuser, you can't tell me anything about Chris that I don't already know. Now listen, if someone in this room could say it, you probably wouldn't go to this church. You say, what about Christy? She comes to church, she has to. She has no choice. If the devil tries to accuse me before God, he literally says, you can't tell me anything about him, I don't already know. Get this, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, every one of my sins were future tense. Every one of them. He paid for all of them. He paid for the ones that I've yet to commit, but inevitably will. The grace of God extends. He's not bound by time. My sins are completely forgiven. One said, if accusations are brought against us, we need not fear. For the charges are silenced by the upraised, pierced hands of our intercessor. If we're to be condemned, it will have to be over Christ's dead body, now resurrected, which actually is the basis of our salvation. How's that for confidence? He can't accuse you. You say, yeah, but I don't feel it. It's not about how you feel. It's the facts of Scripture. God is for you. He gave His only begotten Son for you. He will withhold nothing beneficial for you. If the accuser of the brethren himself tries to condemn you before the holy judge that is God, it's factual that in Christ it was God that already, he already justified. It's clear. You're, you're good. That feeling, that sensation grips us. I have hope. It's the grace of God. That's Paul's point. Whoever brings a charge against God's elect, no matter who they are, the charges will not stick. You say, well, what if he throws it to a higher court? You can't go to a higher court than the eternal God. There's no higher court. It'll never be thrown out. Your redemption is secure. Your case is closed for all eternity. Your record is clean. In verse one of this chapter, we're told there's no condemnation to them that are now in Christ Jesus. And here he comes back and says, by the way, there's no condemners. Which is why it's such a tragic thing and a travesty when the people of God bite and devour one another. There are no condemners before God. His elect are already justified. Righteousness imputed. They're clean. Again one wrote, we can therefore confidently challenge the universe with all its inhabitants, human and demonic. Who is he that condemns? There'll never be any answer you are secure in Christ. You say, I don't feel it. I know what it feels like to be oppressed, maybe oppressed by the devil. He goes on and he says, tell him four things and bid him go. Christ died for me. Christ was raised from the dead for me. Christ, the all-powerful ruling is interceding with me, uh, with almighty God on my behalf. Christ is For me, God is for me, I am already justified. Since God is for us, there is no power ever formed that can rise up against us. Since God gave His Son for us, there is nothing that I can ever ask that is too much. There is no way that God will ever hold back anything beneficial for me. Therefore, I am more than a conqueror. He's going on now as he pins verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Then he writes something strange as it is written. For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. It is interesting to me as a student of the Bible that the Apostle Paul asks, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he throws at us some inanimate objects: Shall tribulation or distress or peril or nakedness or sword? And we think, is that a typo? Is that a writer's error? Those are more what's than they are who's. But as I study this out, I've come to this understanding. Maybe they don't feel like people in in a sense, but these don't feel like inanimate things either because a lot of time peril and persecution and distress has a name and a face, doesn't it? And I happen to think that the apostle is writing autobiographically here. And every time he throws out a word, peril, nakedness, sword, distress, he has a name and a face, and he has a backstory for every word that the Holy Spirit inspires him to pin. And he's assuring himself, as much as he is every reader, and he is saying, no matter what gets thrown at you, you are stronger, not because you are, but because God is for you. There is no situation, there is no circumstance formed that will ever deprive you of the love of God. You are sealed. There is no situation, no circumstance that can ever arise that will deprive you of eternal life. It's already done. Christ views you as already seated with him in the heavenlies. God's stronger. And what he's going to write here is he's not just going to defeat those things for us, though he will. He is going to make us more than conquerors. Have you ever really thought about that phrase? What does it mean to be more than a conqueror? I've already referenced. Age is a miserable thing. I hate, I hate getting older. In some ways I like it because I feel like, I've said this before, I have the kind of job as a pastor that people will revere you more the more bald you are and gray-haired and fatter-bellied. It's just like that guy's gotta know what he's talking about. Look, he's bald with gray hair and a big belly. Clearly, he knows the scriptures. But there are aspects of aging that I just don't enjoy. I don't enjoy that when it gets dark at 212 in the afternoon at this time of year, that by like two fifteen, I just want to sleep. My wife and I will laugh at each other sometimes, it's like seven at night, and we'll look at each other like, How are we still awake? I, don't know, I can't even function. I can't move. You sit for too long in your desk chair. You ride for too long in the car, and you go to get out of the car and you creak and groan and you feel it. And even to stand upright, it's everything you can do. And you think, I and Paul looks at you and he says, By the way, believer, you are more than a conqueror. And you're like, what? <laughs> Dude, I I can't function, man. I can't move. I can't think clearly. I am more than a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror. I'm a spiritual doofus, man. I struggle. I'm a weakling, spiritually speaking. That was added for effect. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a spiritual weakling. And he says, no, you are more than a conqueror. He's affirming us. He's strengthening us. He's encouraging us. God is for you. Nothing's stronger than God He gave his only begotten son for you. He's not going to withhold anything beneficial from you. You are more than a conqueror. One wrote this, a conqueror defeats his enemy, but one who is more than a conqueror subjugates his enemy. A conqueror nullifies the purpose of his enemy. One who is more than a conqueror makes his enemy serve his own purposes. Conqueror strikes down his foe. One who is more than a conqueror makes his foe his slave. Paul's writing that as I've referenced autobiographically. Then he writes something. It stands out to me. It's a strange phrase. He says, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. What is he saying? He's talking to believers in the Roman Empire who for the name of Christ and for the cause of Christ... They've lost everything. They're outcasts. They're outnumbered. They're countercultural. It's so bad at this point in history that they are being outright murdered for merely naming the name of Christ. And as Paul pins this to the believers in Rome, they're reading these words, now sit with them for a minute, and he's saying, you're more than a conqueror, and they're sitting there in their little hovel with barely any material possessions. Wiping away tears from loved ones that they have lost in graphic and dramatic fashion. Many of them have been run through with a spear. Some of them, history will tell us, have been impaled, covered with pitch, lit on fire to be garden lights for Nero's parties. They've been torn apart by lions. They've been put on display in the Colosseum. Enter into this moment. Pick this letter up. You've lost your job, you've lost your family, you've lost your material possessions, you live within earshot of the screams of agony in the Colosseum, and you know every day you're dependent on someone's mercy, and at any moment you could be arrested and killed, and he says, by the way, you are more than a conqueror. You can't help but reflexively say, yeah, right, I'm hanging on by a thread, man, I've lost everything. I'm more than a conqueror. That's what he is saying to us. For thy sake, we're killed all the day long. And then he has the audacity to say, just think about it. Even death can't take anything from you. I don't mean that, that I could say it, but I believe the Apostle Paul would say with confidence threaten me with death. Who cares? I don't think he meant it flippantly, but he's already written in letters and said, I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart, to be with Christ, which is far better. He considers death gain. You're not going to threaten Paul with death. That's the ultimate consequence in this life. That's what the devil hovers over us with, death. But we've been gifted eternal life. You can't threaten me with death. That's what he's saying. To every one of you that are sitting in the dark, reading this letter, whispering the name of Christ, understand they can't do anything to you. You're more than a conqueror. We conquer through him who loved us. It doesn't matter how weak you are or I am. What matters is how strong he is. Another said this, that word in itself is special, more than a conqueror. It communicates we gain a surpassing victory. We are overwhelmingly conquerors. The word that is used in the Greek there is Nike. It communicates victory. That's where they get the whole marketing scheme from. It's victorious. You see, I do feel different when I wear my Nikes. I do feel faster. You're not. It's, it's a scam. You're running just the same speed. But the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and that's a mystery in itself. The Apostle Paul gets to this moment in the letter, and it's as though the Holy Spirit, as he's inspiring him, he gets to this point in the letter, and he's, he knows he's writing to beat down people who are being accused who are being lied about, who have everything taken from them. And, and it's almost like he says, Nike's just not the word. And so for the only time in the whole New Testament, he writes this word and it's hyper Nike. It's, you're not just a victor, you're super victorious. You're not just victorious, you're hyper-victorious. You're over the top victorious and it doesn't resonate with the feelings but it does not matter. You're secured as a hyper-victorious person. You're super-conqueror because of the loving work of Jesus Christ. That's what he's telling us. Too often we live our spiritual lives unconvinced, without conviction. And by actually doing the right thing, to uphold the scripture, to stick to these doctrines. It's so countercultural. We're always outnumbered. They're pressing on me. I just feel like there's no way I can be right. We live unconvinced without conviction. And he's coming to us and he's saying, I know you're outnumbered. I know everything you believe is countercultural. I know every walk that you take is up a steep hill and against the elements, but I'm telling you in effect, You're right. You're more than a conqueror. It is the right thing. Live with conviction. God is for you. He gave His Son for you. He will withhold nothing beneficial from you. Thus, you are more than a conqueror. And like a parent, I can hear it in Paul. Paul's a teacher at this point, he's a preacher in his ministry, and he knows. I know you have questions. And it's almost like dealing with a child. He starts down a list and they say, well, what about death? We've already touched on this. Can death separate me from the love of Christ? No. No, dangerous as though that may seem. No, death can't separate you. Alexander McLaren said death rends us apart from the world that it may bring us to God. If you're a child of God, death, to close our eyes to this life is to open them to the next. To be absent from this body is to be present from the Lord. The apostle Paul literally is removing the sting. He's removing the pain from death and the grave. Jesus did that for us and he's reminding us, no, death can't separate you from the love of Christ. Oh, wait a second, what about life? I mean, life can be dangerous, life can be hard, life can be troublesome. Can, can the situations of life, can that separate me? He says, no, that can't do it either. All right, I got one for you, Paul, what about angels? Angels can do it. I mean, they're powerful, right? Angels are really close to God. They're there in heaven. What if there was an angel who was going to separate me from the love of Christ? What if an angel was going to alter the opinion of Christ concerning me? He says, no, not an angel. What about the devil? No, not him either. He fits in the prior category. Yeah, well, what about principalities? It's possible that somehow they could cause me to be lost to Jesus Christ. No, principalities, they can't do it either. I'm convinced they cannot, he says. Well, what about things that just happen? What about the process of time? Things can change over time, right? I mean, things present and things to come. I mean, what about the future? I don't know what's around the corner. Maybe around the corner there's gonna be something that separates me from the love of Christ. No, not this moment. And not anything that is to come, I'm convinced it cannot happen. That's what he's saying. All right, Paul, what about height? What about depth? Now, if you're a teacher and you're probably like, okay, guys, you're stretching now. No, height cannot separate you either. Oh, what if I go swimming and I get to the bottom of the deepest part of the ocean? One, you'd be in heaven because you're going to die. Don't try it. But secondarily, no, not even depth. You say maybe you're implying that the high points of life, maybe God just decides that he's not going to love me because I've made too much. No, that's not going to separate. Maybe it's the deep moments and valleys in life, and it's just so despairing. that No, nothing, not height, not depth, nothing that will ever exist will separate you from the love of Christ. And I love what he writes. He says, nor any creature. Now I think Paul is reaching kind of the end of his patience. If you let me just imply his personality creeps out nor any creature. It's almost like you as a parent, you're like, what about this? What about that? Not any creature that's ever been created. If there's something you're trying to think of right now, just understand, not that one either. Not any creature, kids, not any creature will ever separate you from the love of Christ. Let that sink in. When the world tells you they're right and you're wrong, you know that you are right. That doesn't produce an arrogance or a pomposity within you. It's a humility. You're a servant of Christ. But you're right because God is for you. And you're right because God gave his son for you. And you are more than a conqueror. Not anything formed will ever separate you from the love of Christ. You're sealed. You're already delivered for all of eternity. Why live so passively and faithless? Why live so unconvinced and without conviction? You're more than a conqueror. I don't know. I mean, I read about these angels in the Bible, and I I just know there's going to be some high points and some low points. I just know that time is flying by. I just know that something out there somewhere is going to rip me away from God. You're wrong. That's what Paul says. I am convinced that absolutely cannot happen. Since God created every creature, nothing could separate you. I love one who said, we should sing this out loud. We're safe. You can't beat us. He's not going anywhere. He loves us forever and always. You say, does that mean that I'm going to get some breaks in life? No. Ask Paul. Paul didn't get a lot of breaks in life. Paul's beat within an inch of his life many times, but I will tell you this, and I believe it with all of my heart, when Paul is brought up from that dungeon, from that cell, and that sword is raised in the air, and the sun glints off that blade for just a second, and about as fast as that flash of the sun, the blade comes down and Paul enters into eternity. I don't think he thinks like, could I just go back for a few more days? I don't think the Apostle Paul had any sweat on his brow when he knew he had reached the end of the line. I think when they put his head down, he just laid it down peacefully. He offered his life up as a drink offering. He says, whatever this is, this is for God too. You couldn't shake Paul. You can shake me. I'd assume you're like me, you can be shaken. We are oppressed by this world and sometimes we're compelled to ask, who am I even? And Paul says, you are more than a conqueror. You say, well, I feel like a sheep set to be slaughtered. You say, well, you're more than a conqueror. You say, well, I feel like my only friend is darkness, isolation. Yeah, well, actually, you might feel that way, but you're more than a conqueror. There's nothing to fear, but I'm afraid there's nothing to fear. But I feel like they're always judging and they're always coming and I I have to stay quiet and they're after me and I say to you, they can't touch your identity. You're more than a conqueror. Your life is not defined by your situation. Your life is defined by who you are in Christ. You're a child of the Most High God. You're a co-laborer together with God. You are more than a conqueror in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Would you please for just a moment bow your heads with me?